All right, so guys, we have a special guest today. Can you tell us your name? Hello, my name is Ellis. Nice to meet you, Ellis. Hey, nice Ellis. Nice to meet you, hey. too. So, Ellis, you're, what, eight years old? You are here today because it is Take Your Child to Work Day. So thank you for joining us. Um, yeah. You're going to read, actually, the first line of our intro, right? You're going to do that. You want to say it? Hey, y'all. Welcome. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. That was great. I want you to do it one more time with so much energy on the hey, y'all. Like, so much energy. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Ellis. It's the NPR Politics Podcast, here with our wrap of the week's political news. We'll go over this week's big batch of primary states and some unusual political maneuvering on the GOP side. We'll also do some listener mail, and as always, we'll end the show with Can't Let It Go, where we all share something we just can't stop thinking about this week. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Sarah McCammon, campaign reporter. And I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. Let's take a second to notice that three out of four of our panel today is women. You're gendering us. I've got our gender cards. (laughs) You've got your gender cards. What do they look like? Can I see the gender card? No. (laughs) We don't show male people our gender cards. Male people. (laughs) Mine is platinum. Nice. Ooh, yeah. And we're going to see it put on the table a lot this year. You know? All right. First up, big news of the week, primaries in the Northeast. Let's talk about the Democrats. First, barring anything extraordinary happening, Hillary Clinton is going to be her party's nominee, correct? Correct. This is done, huh? Close to done. It is uh, mathematically implausible for Bernie Sanders to get the nomination at this point. Hillary Clinton, if you include superdelegates, and I know a lot of people don't like to include superdelegates, but if you include superdelegates, she is 90 percent of the way to clinching the nomination. Yeah, These last two weeks have been really important. If New York was the beginning of the end of the Democratic contest, uh, Super Tuesday or the Acela Tuesday, whatever we're calling it, was kind of the end of the end. Or the middle of the end? Because there's still California. No, no, there's still California. She She won't get the number she needs before California, but it is now almost completely impossible for Sanders to get the number he needs. And you could really see the change in the mood and the psychology, the air going out of the balloon a little bit and him shifting. Tamara? We have some tape of that. This was a speech he gave on Wednesday in Indiana where he made it clear that although he still is in it to win it, he's also in it for other things. And our job, whether we win or whether we do not win, is to transform not only our country but the Democratic Party, to open the doors of the Democratic Party to working people and young people and senior citizens in a way that does not exist today. So it's about platform now? It certainly is what he's talking about now. He's talking about... He wants a $15 minimum wage. He wants Medicare for all. He wants unaccountable money out of politics. All of these things that he's been talking about in his campaign. I mean, I think I think truth be told, Bernie Sanders is still figuring out what Bernie Sanders wants. He has this massive support. He's proven that he can raise all of this money. He has all of these people who love him and love his message and he is channeling for them. But he has to figure out now. And I think he's still in that process because it's only 
just beginning. Yeah. He's figuring out what he, what he wants, what he wants to get out of it. And I think he's trying to figure out also how he's going to campaign the rest of the way. Like there was this talk that he might soften the tone of his attacks on Clinton and move more to a message-based uh, campaign. But he's still been hitting Clinton hard, right? Yeah, and a lot of Democrats are getting pretty fed up and saying explicitly to him that he needs to campaign in a different way. He can still campaign on his issues. He says every speech that he's campaigning on the issues, but he's also hitting her pretty hard on the speeches to Goldman Sachs. He's reinforcing the reason why her numbers on being honest and trustworthy are so low. So that is what Democrats want to see him change. As far as what he wants when we get to the convention, he has to think about what he can get because without the majority of delegates, you're not on the majority of the platform committee either. Huh. So Bernie Sanders, the idea and the thinking is that he has enough money to stay in through the convention, but he's also laying off staff now. He's laying off hundreds of staffers, right, Tamara? That's correct. Um, as of March 31st, his campaign had about 900 people That's on the panel. That's a lot of people. It is a huge staff. Uh, Hillary Clinton at that time had 780. Wow. I don't know how much staff she has at this point, but... Bernie Sanders' campaign now says that they have more than 300 people working for him. Now, you have to say that 80% of the contests have already happened. Yes. Lots of people have already voted. And it is actually not uncommon, people who've worked on campaigns tell me, to let go of some of the field staff instead of moving them forward to the next states at this point in a campaign. Well, you know, the other thing is it shows Bernie is attached to reality. He's not deluded because what happens when you're the front runner and it looks like you're going to get the nomination, those people are going to be the beginnings of your general election field operation. And he's acknowledging, even though he has the money to keep them on the payroll, that he's not going to have a general election field operation. And maybe he would be better served running ads in California where it's this huge state and you run on the air, he'd be better served having the money to run those ads than to pay field staff. What do his supporters want? Like, my big question is, if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter in California and you're beginning to see all this writing on the wall suggesting that he's not going to be the nominee and he's ramping things down, what do you want from him? Do you want him to, like, tell you the truth that it's over? Do you want them to come and campaign in your state still? Do you want to give them money still? What do they want? Well, Tamara? you definitely want to see a you want to see a Bernie Sanders rally. You want to go see that big speech and feel the feels that you feel at a Bernie Sanders feel rally. Feel the burn. Yeah, that, right. <laughs> so to speak. But like do his donations drop off now? I think there are lots of people who are on the automatic payment plan and either they don't take themselves off or they don't want to take themselves off. Yeah. There are people who still want and are still giving Bernie Sanders money because they believe in what he's saying. Some of them are are using really creative math to say that he still is going to be the nominee. Um, others might be hoping that Hillary Clinton is indicted and that he would be the nominee. Others are sending a message. Well, Tam, you, you talk to these people all the time at Bernie rallies. How many of them want him to be a third-party candidate, an independent candidate, if he's not the nominee? Or they want to write his name in. There are a lot of people who are Bernie or bust. So let's talk about that third-party angle. This week, Donald Trump suggested that Sanders run third-party. You were there? I was there, yeah. Tuesday night in New York City at Trump Tower. He gave his big big press conference after his big five wins in five states. And yeah, Trump's a backer of uh, Bernie as an independent run. In fact, I suggested today, you probably saw, that the Democrats have treated Bernie very badly. And frankly, I think he should run as an independent, okay? And I actually do. I actually do. I think they've treated him very badly. And, you know, the system is a 
bad system and whether it's their system and or our system. hear that laughter? And that was pretty great. Everybody knew yeah. exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, he wants Bernie Sanders to be a third party. Candidate. We should explain here why Trump might think it would be good for him if Sanders ran as an independent. Because Sanders would presumably split the Democratic vote, allowing a Republican Donald Trump to win. This is the mirror image of why Republicans didn't want Donald Trump to run as a third party if he didn't get the nomination, because he would split the Republican vote and allow Hillary Clinton to be the president. Tim. And Bernie Sanders' wife, Jane Sanders, was on CNN. She was asked about this. And she specifically said, no. I think that we've been very clear right from the beginning that we will not play the role of spoiler. The reason that he was active and, and, and he decided to run in the Democratic Party was just that. We cannot afford a Republican in the White House. Uh, we cannot report, uh, afford a Republican appointing Supreme Court justices. So Bernie will not be running as an independent. And also, wouldn't it be really hard to do to get your name on all these ballots across the states? You have to be super rich. Yeah. Uh, and he has super- the money to do that if he wanted to, I think, but he doesn't want to. But if it will yeah. his will his supporters, though, and this is a, I mean, this is going to be a question going forward. But like, will they take his direction? You know, assuming he's not the nominee. Will he and- even give direction? He was asked yeah. this week if he would direct his supporters to support Hillary. And he said, not my job. He's like, Whoa, this isn't he- my kind of that's not this kind of movement. It's not a top down movement. It's a bottom up movement. But you but he has said many times and Jane just said it again, that they want to stop a Republican from being elected. And all of Bernie's energy is going to go into stopping Donald Trump. A vote for Hillary is a vote against Trump. He might not phrase it as you have to get really enthusiastic behind Hillary Clinton because so he knows so many her. of his people yeah. can't. He'll endorse her. If he wants a speaking slot at the convention, he has to endorse okay. her. But the the energy that he's trying to direct is stop Donald Trump. Yeah. And that, I think, is, is how he keeps his troops involved. He's not going to get them fired up for Hillary. I don't think he has the inclination to do that, but he can get them to come out to vote against Donald Trump. Yeah, he really has to figure out a way to put support behind Hillary, if that's what he wants to do, without seeming like a total sellout. I mean, he has been running against the establishment. He's been running against establishment politics and money in politics and precisely against the way she's operated in the campaign finance system as it exists today. And he's going to have to figure out a way to say he supports her, but doesn't, you know, it's it's like it's a tough thing. It's like it's it feels like selling out a little bit. So he's going to figure it out. Sarah. And, and a challenge is that now Donald Trump is starting to use Bernie Sanders and some of those very points he's made and use them against Hillary. And so this is where we are as we move closer and closer to what looks like a Trump-Clinton matchup. You know, this is a struggle for the Democrats. You know, he's always struck me, especially in the last couple of weeks, and particularly in the debate in Brooklyn, he's running for president of the left. She's running for the president of the United States. And uh, if he wants to be the president of the left and be the clear leader of the progressive wing of, yeah. the, of the Democratic Party, not Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders... Then he has to decide what is the best route for him to take in order to be that person. Uh, so before we go to a break, we got to take a moment to recognize we're going to have a woman nominee for president of a major party. That has not happened before. Why are we not talking about that? And we have to say major party because Jill Stein was yes. nominated yeah. uh, but like, for the Green that Party is, last time. That's history. I mean, I think we are talking about it. We are right here. But I'm saying nationally, that has not been part of the conversation as it was when Obama became the first 
Black nominee, right? Yes, because that was a bigger ceiling to crash through. Why? There have been a lot of women leaders around the world. America is a real laggard in that regard. Mm -hmm. And that's also not a rationale for her presidency. uh, Barack Obama didn't run to be the first black president. He didn't have to talk about it, but he explicitly did not run on that rationale. She's not explicitly running on that, although she does talk about women's issues a lot. She talks about gender more than Obama talks about race. No doubt. No doubt. And, you know, if, as you talk out in the in the field and you talk to people at Clinton events, people bring it up, especially women. <laughs> people say, and I, it's about time we had our first female president of the United States. They talk about it a lot. Sometimes they feel guilty about it because they don't want to be accused of just w- voting for a woman because they're a woman. Uh, but there is a level of excitement that is there and is real among her female supporters. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we will talk about the women's card. The woman, what, how do you, the woman's card? It depends on who's saying it. Well, yes. Trump said woman's card. Woman's card. We'll be back. We'd like to say a quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, United Health Group, who asks, "How can we really improve healthcare? Bring back the house call." Open walk-in clinics in convenient places? Help more moms get prenatal care? Or use technology to find insights that lower healthcare costs? Maybe help doctors spend more time with patients, not paperwork? What if we did all of this and more? Because it's all connected to better care, and better care means better health. United Health Group, built for better health. Learn more at unitedhealthgroup.com. Hey, everybody, it's Don Gagne. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, the latest stop on the campaign trail. And what you hear in the background are the preparations for a big Ted Cruz rally. Anyway, thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. And if you're looking for another great NPR podcast, check out Hidden Brain. It's a podcast about social science that you can apply to your everyday life. Hear why I say being busy, I know about that, affects our motivation the psychological barriers to addressing climate change and the unexpected roots of discrimination on Airbnb. From the Hidden Brain podcast at npr.org slash podcast and on the NPR One app. Okay, here's the show. All right, we are back. We are going to talk about something that Donald Trump said this week about Hillary Clinton. Sarah, you were there? Yep. New York City, Trump Tower, another Trump press conference on another night of victory. And uh, he is the front runner. He's ready to be the nominee. He called himself the presumptive nominee, and he went after Hillary. Well, I think the only card she has is the woman's card. She's got nothing else going. And frankly, if Hillary Clinton were a man, I don't think she'd get 5% of the vote. The only thing she's got going is the woman's card. And the beautiful thing is women don't like her, okay? And look how well I did with women tonight, okay? So the response to that was swift, of course, on the Internet. And there was a lot of traffic on Twitter about uh, Chris Christie's wife, Mary Pat Christie, standing behind Trump and making what looked like possibly an eye roll face as Trump said this. (laughs) I think it was an eye roll followed by a side eye. (laughs) That being said, the woman's card. This is what Trump said. This is and it's something Hillary Clinton anticipated in her speech. Right, Tam? Yeah, he's actually used this line about her before, but it seemed wildly prescient. She has this line in her speech that she occasionally uses, which she happened to use Tuesday night in Philadelphia. And it's a line that gets massive applause whenever she uses it. Here it is. Well, if fighting for women's health care and paid family leave 
and equal pay is playing the woman card, then deal me in. So how does this affect how well both of them will do with women. Trump does not do well with women overall, right? Trump has very, very high negatives with women. He already has 60% negatives with everyone. His negatives with women are higher. I think the Hill, the Clinton campaign, and Tam will tell you, were just thrilled <laughs> were that like, he lobbed them much. a softball over the plate. And it was a little bit odd to listen to it. It sounded like he was disparaging women, and he wasn't going after her for being corrupt or all the specific attacks he can make on her. He was making a really broad attack about her and her gender. I, yeah. Damn. I feel like that, in a nutshell, that is a preview of the next six months of our lives. Yeah. They, you know, Donald Trump has made a campaign of semi-personal attacks on his opponents. And Hillary Clinton's campaign has a strategy, which they intend to stick to. We'll see if they can, of whenever he attacks personally, she broadens it out to be an attack on a whole group of people, be that women, Muslims, Mexicans. And that's not hard to do because the way that he phrases lots of his statements on these things. They are very broad. They're very broad. Like he didn't say the Hillary card. He said the woman's card. He didn't say some Muslims. He said ban all Muslims. Right. So he sets himself up for this. And yet if you talk to his supporters, they often say to me, I don't really think he would ban all Muslims. I think as president, he'd be more moderate. And you know what's so interesting about that? At that same Victory Night press conference, he was asked, are you going to change? Your new advisor, Paul Manafort, said this was all an act and you're going to act more presidential and you're going to change the way you campaign. And he said, why would I change? I'm winning. It has worked for him. It's a fair question. Yeah. And you know, just thinking of gender this week, it could be argued that one, Ted Cruz played the woman's Ted card. Ted Cruz played the gender card big time. The woman's he, card. The woman's card. When he announced that Carly Fiorina would be his running mate if he gets a nominee, he extolled her virtues in a way that was made her out to be the anti-Trump. He said she makes measured decisions. She just doesn't pop off. She thinks things through. And Carly is a vice presidential nominee who I believe is superbly skilled, superbly gifted at helping unite this party, bring up us together so we stand united as one. And then he made an argument that I think you're going to hear from the Clinton camp, which is Donald Trump is a bully and bullies are afraid. And when they see a strong woman stand up and say, I'm not afraid of you, they don't know what to do. You know, one of the great principles of bullies, they feed off of fear. They feed off of people who will cower in the corner when they yell and scream and insult and holler and curse, and they don't know what to do when a strong, powerful woman stands up and says, I am not afraid. And this is something that Carly Fiorina has been using. I mean, she would say, I don't want people to vote for me because I'm a woman. But throughout her campaign, when she was running, she would say, Hillary Clinton is terrified to debate me. I can't wait to debate Hillary Clinton. She very much set herself up as an anti-Hillary. And Ted Cruz is taking advantage of that. Can we just, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Ted Cruz announced his VP pick the day that it was declared that he was mathematically eliminated from getting enough delegates to win first ballot. Is he delusional? No, that's why he did it. Why? Explain it to me, (laughs) please. Because on the day that he was about to be counted out and a day that Donald Trump was giving a foreign policy speech from a teleprompter. Yeah, After he had told, after Trump had told a rally the day before or two days before, don't you love me? I'm not a teleprompter kind of guy. (laughs) But Ted Cruz needed to get back in the action. And 
We don't know what Carly Fiorina can do for him, maybe very little. But what she did do for him this week was she, she got, got him, him a cycle. day of live coverage and then continued coverage when they went to campaign in Indiana uh, on Thursday. So, you know, she he had to get himself back in the action and he did. Can we just pause to play a little tape from that press conference? Can we please? But we've been traveling around the country and I've come to know Ted and Heidi and Caroline and Catherine. I know two girls that I just adore. What? I'm so happy I can see them more. Cause we travel on the bus all day. We get to play. We get to play. I won't bore you with any more of the song. But they have four verses. That's it. Shut it all down. I'm out. I quit. (laughs) This is... What is going on? (laughs) To me, this felt like... And I cannot see into her mind, but it felt like an effort to position her as a softer female candidate. Who she was loves, she singing to? She was singing to Ted Cruz's two daughters, who Caroline and cute. Catherine, who are very cute. They're, uh, I'd have to check this, but about eight and five-ish. They're, they're little. Um, and sometimes they travel with the family, and, and apparently they travel on the bus with Carly Fiorina. Was that an original song she just wrote for the kids? I don't know. Sounds don't know. like it. When candidates have special hidden talents, like being able to carry a tune, they generally show them to us. I wouldn't Barack call that Obama. a talent. <laughs> well, I would, I would not for call somebody that a who's talent. tone deaf and can't carry a tune, I, I bet you could sing could... pretty well. Oh, I don't it was fine. So. It was it was fine. When did we get the impression that she is a boost to his ticket? That she is actually popular? She's lost elections. She was Several. never that up yeah. in the polls. Like she's from California, but she, she lost might... her race for Senate yes, in California. But, but we're not talking about winning a statewide race. We're talking about Cruz, I think, would like her to peel off some Republican women who are leery of Donald Trump. We know Donald Trump has very high negatives with women, including many Republican women. And if Fiorina can help him in California, which is one of the last big states left, that'll be good for him. I just feel like Carly Fiorina keeps showing up to elections she's not going to win. I don't know. You also have to wonder, though, how how many other options Cruz had. I mean, we didn't hear any other names really floated seriously. Uh, and, and Cruz doesn't have a lot of friends in Congress, which is often a place to go for running mates. So, I mean, I'm well, but also it, the, you he is going out there asking someone to be his vice presidential nominee for an imagine. It's like an imaginary thing because he's mathematically eliminated. So you're asking someone to play vice presidential nominee. I mean, it's yeah. not completely delusional, though, because but, if his whole theory is stopping Trump from getting 1237 on the first ballot and then second ballot, and he, then can second ballot he can come in. R- Ronald Reagan did something like this in 1976. He announced his vice presidential pick. He did not get the nomination. But four years later, he was back and he became the president. With Ted a different Cruz, vice president. With a different vice president. Ted Cruz is certainly thinking all the way to 2020. And in in speech after speech, Ted Cruz talks about Reagan and he compares himself to Ronald Reagan. He talks about Jimmy Carter's presidency leading into Reagan's presidency. Again, of course, this was in the late 70s going into 80, not the election that Reagan lost. So, you know, it would not surprise me if when Cruz was considering what his options are, he thought, oh, well, 
My friend Reagan did this. Why I should I? And, and, you know, Sarah, you, wow. you, you've been out there with Cruz and Fiorina. Fiorina is his top surrogate and one of his most popular ones. She is. And, you know, as he, he likes to say that something like five candidates have endorsed him. Well, she, she's the one that's done so most sort of energetically. You know, there have been several candidates who said, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for Cruz, but rather reluctantly. Whereas Carly Fiorina has been out there on the stump for him. So, all right. How close is Donald Trump to locking this whole thing down? Close. He only needs 46 percent of the remaining delegates. And based on his performance so far where he's been winning these primaries from anywhere from 35 percent to over 60, he should be able to do that. And Indiana is coming up. Uh, Sarah, where is he in Indiana? And does he even need Indiana? Does he need Indiana mathematically? Maybe not. Uh, More delegates are always good. But in terms of the conversation, okay, Ted Cruz is saying that that this is the place he's going to take on Trump again, almost like another Wisconsin. Well, if Ted Cruz can beat Trump, it might help make his case that maybe he should be the alternative if Trump doesn't get to 1237. If Trump beats Cruz, and by the way, he is a few points ahead in the polls, single digits last time I checked, so not an insurmountable gap, but Trump is ahead. If he beats Cruz, it's hard to see how this isn't over. Yeah, because it's head to head. Like Kasich has disarmed in Indiana. John Kasich has disarmed. Right. Kasich has agreed to get out of the way, whereas Cruz agreed to get out of the way in Oregon and New Mexico. Let Kasich focus on those. And yes, Cruz has been saying forever that he wants a head to head with Trump and that he can beat Donald Trump if it's a one on one. So just like he did in Wisconsin. Right. Which looks more and more like a one off rather than finally the never Trump movement getting itself up off the mat and starting to win. So, Mara, could Indiana be the end of the never Trump stop Trump movement? Yes, it could. All righty. Break number two. We'll be right back with some listener mail and can't let it go. A quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Casper. They're an online retailer for mattresses. Casper mattresses are American made and obsessively engineered for comfort. They use two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, to give just the right amount of sink and bounce. And they have a risk-free trial. You can try out your Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and returns. It's outrageous comfort at a polite price. So go to casper.com slash nprpolitics to check out their options. And they have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Use the promo code nprpolitics to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress that works for you. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's hit the mailbag. Kat wrote us to ask, quote, I am writing to you after having a discussion with my husband tonight that really concerned me. He started our conversation with Trump will be elected president. I turned to him and said, how so? He explains that many Sanders supporters would jump the Democratic ship, so to speak, and vote for Trump before voting for Clinton. He cites that Trump's anti-establishment views are what would sway Sanders supporters. I am not convinced of this, but it does have me very concerned. So my first thought hearing this is it all depends on what Sanders does, right? Well, I think Sanders will say vote against Trump. Yes. But I don't think that these people in a general election are going to lock, stock and barrel follow Bernie Sanders instructions. I think there is a lot of overlap between Trump supporters and Sanders supporters in certain parts of the country, in white rural parts of the country, Appalachia. There are many Democrats I've talked to who think there is an overlap and that some Bernie supporters will go to Trump. The question is, are there enough of them? But like and also Seattle liberals 
who were sporting Sanders no, aren't going to go to no, Trump. There's, no, there, we're talking about in the Rust Sanders Belt. Of, okay, we're talking gotcha, about in the Rust Belt. Gotcha. In the states that Donald Trump says he can flip from blue to red, Pennsylvania, okay. Ohio, Iowa, New Hampshire, Michigan, Wisconsin, et cetera. Let me just add slight and not too distant historical context to this, which is in 2008, there were people who called themselves Pumas, party unity, my you know what. And they were Hillary Clinton supporters who absolutely did not want to vote for Barack Obama and did not care for party unity. They wanted Hillary Clinton. How many of those were there? Well, I think initially there were about 40 percent of Clinton supporters who said that they wouldn't vote for, for Obama. Well, obviously, that isn't what ended up happening. There were very few Pumas left by the end. Now there's a Bernie or bust movement. It's not clear at this point. How many of them? Less than 40 percent, though. The exit polls show less than 40 percent. Yeah, Bernie or bust is smaller than Puma. Okay, Gabby emailed us and said, quote, I am a Hillary supporter who donated $10 to her campaign a few months ago. I'm a grad student in Seattle, so I can't really afford more than $10. Since then, she says, she gets emails from her campaign all the time, always asking me to chip in exactly $8. I'm so curious about that number. Why eight? It seems like such a random number. It's small. But isn't $1 smaller? I've seen the ones that yes, ask Yes, $1, $1 is smaller, but they just want to get the average donation down so they can boast about it. Well, but what's interesting to me is I've never given Hillary Clinton money, uh, but I'm on her mailing list. But all the emails to me always ask for $1. Ah, and so Gabby's being asked for $8, probably because it's just shy of what she gave yeah. before. Huh. They so want to make it as easy as possible for people to give. These emails uh, are a science. There's actually yeah. a reason... Uh, that I don't fully understand that probably involves algorithms and, and, you know, um, social scientists and all kinds of stuff. There is a reason she's getting that number eight. Finally, Charles wrote us with an interesting question. He says, quote, it could be argued that the Affordable Care Act was the biggest policy achievement of the Obama administration. What do you predict would or will be the biggest policy achievement for each of the remaining candidates? Ooh. Trump, build a wall. Sanders, break up the banks. Cruz, roll back every single one of Obama's executive orders. Clinton, pass paid family leave and comprehensive immigration reform. There we go. Yeah, comprehensive immigration reform. Kasich, I'll be nice and hug people. (laughs) So, I mean, what's interesting to me when I think of the biggest policy statements and the ones I think that voters have fresh in their mind the most are Trump's. Everyone says that he's very ambiguous on specifics. But when he says build a wall, when he says send them all out, when he says ban all Muslims, those are things that stick in voters' heads much more than anything I've heard Hillary say about policy. He's very specific. I think he's crystal clear. Whether he actually means that or not, that's a subject of a lot of talk, only because the stuff he says is so out there that people can't believe he would really do it. But he's been very, very clear about what he wants to do. Deport 11 million people. Build a wall. uh, Rip up the free trade deals and renegotiate them. I mean... Renegotiate the Iran deal. Renegotiate the Iran deal. Maybe pull back from NATO. I mean, make our allies pay more. He's been very specific. Yeah. I was just going to ask Mara, do you think that, let's say Bernie Sanders doesn't get the nomination, he goes back to the Senate. Do you think that he, with this big movement that he's proven, do you think that he could author some campaign finance legislation, get John McCain to sign on or somebody and, and actually accomplish that? If Clinton is the president? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Although after this election, I mean... And they take back the Senate. Sorry, how'd I add that? (laughs) I mean, after this election, though, where 
can where super PACs have not been as influential as we thought. And on the Republican side, the person with the biggest war chest went nowhere. I mean, it, is there going to be a huge movement to, again to change campaign finance? I don't well, there ever... is a movement. It's the Sanders campaign. You can see some kind of legislation now. The legislation is going to be constrained because the Supreme Court has spoken that money is speech. And unless you have a majority that's going to overturn Citizens United, you can't just do what Bernie Sanders wants to do with legislation. Yeah. All right. That's the mail, which means it is now time for Can't Let It Go, when we all share one thing we just can't stop thinking about this week, politics or otherwise. All right, Mara, what you got? Well, what I got is my favorite tweet of the week by Brian Boitler, who works for the National Review. And it was after Donald Trump's foreign policy speech in Washington. And he was giving it grades. And he said, style, B, substance, D minus, overall, A plus. And I've just been laughing about that all week because <laughs> no matter what Donald Trump does, no matter how much he's panned for being incoherent and consistent, whatever, he comes out winning. Yeah, he's invincible. <laughs> Hashtag winning. Hashtag wow. Five primaries. Substance D minus overall A plus. A plus. <laughs> All right, Sarah, what can you not let go this week? Okay, well, several weeks ago, my can't let it go was a child at a cruise rally in Florida. And today, my can't let it go is a child at a Trump rally in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. So this is, uh, in a second here, we're going to hear from Melissa Conterno of Mayfield, Pennsylvania, and her daughter, Jillian, who is 10 years old. I asked them if I could ask them about why they were at the Trump rally, why they're Trump fans, and here's what Melissa said. Sure. Go ahead, you talk. Why do you want Trump? She wants to keep her gun. And what else? She has a... It's, it's just a BB gun. Um... It's still a gun. But nonetheless, we... Uh, I don't know. What do we want to do? We, we want to make America great again. So there you go. I just wow. thought that was kind of funny because, um, you know. Hands off my BB gun. Hands off my BB gun. <laughs> Love yeah. it. My other can't let it go, if I can just have two, is Sam's piece this week about Beyonce, Prince, and Harriet Tubman. It was, if you haven't read it, you should check it out at NPR.org. A really good, thoughtful piece about just how nasty our politics can get and how basically these three great black figures were so much in the news this last week and prompted a lot of really thoughtful conversations. Thank you. I'm going to shout out your piece as well about how uh, Prince means different things to different people and personal experience informs a lot about whether or not we can take part in these big cultural moments. Uh, It was very candid and I loved it. Thank you. Tam, what can you not let go this week? Well, the Stanford Daily, which is the student newspaper at Stanford University, did a story headline, John Boehner Talks Election, comma, Time in Office. Sounds boring. Yeah. Until you get to the quotes. Uh-huh. Speaker Boehner, former Speaker John Boehner, retired recently, was asked about what he thinks of Ted Cruz. And Boehner said, quote, Lucifer in the flesh. <laughs> I have Democrat friends and Republican friends. I get along with almost everyone, but I have never worked with a more miserable son of a bitch oh my in God. my life. Oh, my God. Just when you thought Ted Cruz is unpopular in Washington, couldn't make headlines again. Wow. <laughs> Boehner bang, said it. Well, bang, it didn't bang, technically make fired. the headline. True, well, true. And, and of John Kasich, he says, Kasich requires more effort on my behalf than all of my other friends. <laughs> but he's still my friend, and I love him. Aww. And he's his governor. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. We all have that friend, though, right? That, like, you have to, like, call three times for every one time they call you, but you're still, like, buds when you get together. I'm that friend. I'm that that friend. friend. I'm that friend. So my Can't Let It Go requires a little bit of setup, but I promise you it is worth it. It is all about a new spelling of a very common word, uh, respect. Or in this case this week, it became respect. (laughs) 
So wait, uh, let me not explain. the way Aretha spells it. No, R E S P E K. Oh, here's the backstory. Uh, we have talked about a morning show called The Breakfast Club before on this program, hosted by a man named Charlemagne. He interviewed Hillary Clinton last week and made news about her talking about hot sauce. This week, he had an interview scheduled with a rapper named Birdman, who was responsible for discovering Lil Wayne, another rapper. But in the past on this show, Charlemagne and his friends have not been the nicest to Birdman. So Birdman and his entourage walk into the booth for this interview with Charlemagne, and Birdman starts the thing before he even sits down, upset. I think we have some tape. Stop playing with my name. Let's I ain't go gonna right on it. No put some respect on my name. You understand me? When y'all saying my name, put some respect on it. One more time. You got to hear it. <laughs> put some respect on my name. You understand me? When y'all saying my name, put some respect on it. Put some respect on it. I love it. I loved it. So the internet had a field day with this. And if you think about it, isn't that what we all want? We just want some respect, respect on our respect. name. Yeah. These, these candidates want it. We, people want it in life. But by the end of the week, the internet had made a song all about respect. Whoa, I want you to put it out. Put some respect on it. Listen, when you say my name, put some respect on it. I ain't playing with y'all. Put some respect on it. And I ain't gonna say it. And I ain't gonna say it no more. It goes on. You get the drift. This is why I love the Is that the a internet. barbershop quartet? <laughs> kind can of. We just, can we just post that song, like a video of that song or whatever, in response to every comment in the comment section? <laughs> yeah, no, need this to happen. So I, after all this happened, I told Twitter that my goal for the week is to educate all of my coworkers about the idea of respect and have them all say the words, put some respect on my name. We yeah. should all try to say Sam it really. Sam Sanders, ended. I respect you. <laughs> <laughs> Tamra Keith, I respect you too. I just want to hear Mara say it. I respect all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's it. We're going to wrap. All right, that's a wrap. We'll see you next week with results of Tuesday's primary in Indiana. And as always, you can find more of our political coverage at nprpolitics.org and on your local public radio station. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Sarah McCammon, campaign reporter. And I'm Mara Eliason, national political correspondent. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Mm-hmm.